The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I'd like you to have this sort of a thanks for taking me here. That is much too valuable. Oh, not to me. I carried it four years. That's over. I'm done with guns. But uh, a man needs a gun. You know, I can't figure why. I wasn't born with one. I surely don't plan on dying with one. My friend, you will die much quicker without one. You will be the only man in Montana without a gun. How will you defend yourself? Well, I'll just have to think of something. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June 23rd, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be He's done with guns, he says, and then questions why anyone would even want or need a gun in the first place. Wasn't born with one. I don't know about you, Robert. I wasn't born with one either. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I remember when I was in the military, the refrain was, this is your rifle, this is your gun, this is for shooting, this is for fun. (laughs) So maybe we were born with guns. (laughs) (laughs) Well, leave it to the TV character MacGyver in our opener today to suggest that all he has to do to face enemies with guns when he doesn't have one is to, quote, think of something. (laughs) Obviously, MacGyver hasn't thought of one thing that when it comes to achieving and sustaining freedom, it's done with guns. And that's the key theme I'll be examining in the wake of the Orlando mass murders that took place on Sunday, June 12th, but it won't be our only focus today. Robert? Well, Bob, um, in the second half of the show, I want to talk about why it is actually virtuous to sin. That's an interesting topic. Well, before we get into that, we better remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Write on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ at 5130 kHz and on channel 292, 6070 kilohertz, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. Now, I first learned about the Orlando shootings uh, last week when I tu- tuned in to talk radio on the Monday morning following the weekend of the event, and it was quite a shock to me to hear such a terrible thing happening on this side of the ocean. You know, we just got over the whole thing that happened in France. Conversations I heard were precipitated on several themes. Islamic terrorism, of course, because the gunman had Islamist leanings and connections. Gay rights and gay issues, because the gunman targeted a gay nightclub rather than another target. Gun laws, of course, because the gunman used a semi-automatic weapon that made it, quote, easy for him to kill a large number of people without being downed himself. And Second Amendment issues, the U.S. Constitution, because, of course, the public seems a bit confused about the essentials of what that amendment means. And then there's the statistics issue, the non-essential issues that frame the gun debate, that, but never, nevertheless hold some inter- interesting information. Now, over many past broadcasts, we've already said more on this show about Islam and its fundamental philosophical incompatibility with Western values, and most shows of any type would ever do. So instead of revisiting that particular theme in detail, I decided instead to put the focus on an ongoing issue that has been on our back burner for a while, namely the always ongoing gun debate. 
Now, what started started me off on this was the first open line talk show I tuned in after the Orlando shootings was that of Tom McConnell's Monday morning show. And I was a bit surprised in the direction in which Tom's own take on the conversation was going. In fact, a lot of what I intend to address today was inspired or motivated by what I heard on that day's broadcast. So we've included some direct bonus links accompanying this broadcast online to that very show, which incidentally also includes a call I personally made into Tom. But what was surprising to my way of thinking was how so much of the conversations were about issues of safety. The anti-gun people argued that private gun ownership made the country less safe. The pro-gun people argued that private gun ownership made the country more safe. And I was thinking about this, you know, I think both sides are somewhat technically wrong because although there's a correlation between crime stats and gun ownership stats, it's not a cause and effect dynamic other than in an individual instance or case. I'm reminded of Aristotle's four modes of causality that we covered on the show back in January. Remember formal, material, efficient, and final? Mm -hmm. I may have to revisit that sometime and apply it to this issue because I think there's a secret to discovering what people's confusion is based on, why they, what they see as cause and effect. Because of course the, the final cause is always the perpetrator, the person who's pulling the trigger. And when it comes to t statistics, which we'll be hearing a lot more about a bit later, you'll find stats used to argue both sides of the issue. But I have to say, from everything I've seen over the many, many years we visited this issue, it's pretty clear that gun ownership, irrespective of the power of the weapons owned, either makes, not causes, <laughs> things safer or has no effect at all. One thing you won't find is any credible stats demonstrating a link between lower murder rates and lower gun, gun ownership rates, except when applied strictly to guns, obviously. But more about stats later. Safety first. Owning guns does not make us safer as their fundamental purpose, though they can and do serve that function. And this is where I think a lot of people got confused on the issue. The gun ownership issue is about keeping the nation free free of and from coercion. Now, how's that for a counterintuitive assertion that guns keep us free from coercion? Well, you can easily argue that freer nations that allow gun ownership may have higher numbers of deaths by private weapons. It pales when compared to the number of citizens shot by their own governments in totalitarian nations or in nations moving towards tyranny. And those stats are never, pu never published, which brings the discussion to the U.S. Second Amendment. Quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And that single sentence comprises the entire amendment. So when I was listening into the show, the Tom McConnell show, one of the first callers was a caller named Robbie, who we happened to know. And he mentioned to Tom, he said, the Second Amendment is non-negotiable. To which Tom replied, well, the Second Amendment is negotiable. Some weapons are outlawed. The framers of the Constitution were not dealing with such advanced technology as we have today. Do we really need to have such lethal weapons freely available? Though he, though he was not opposed to all guns. He says, what about your right to own an AK-15? I mean, he says, too much liberty in the U.S. and the destruction it has sown has caused thousands, ca caused thousands of lives every year. And Rob, of course, replied, well, not by it. AK-15s, but mass shootings are done by such weapons. Tom, of course, argued that the raw numbers of mass shootings in proportion to the population 
uh, put the U.S. at the top of the list. And then came a very interesting caller, another person we are familiar with, Kyla. You, you know her yes. voice. Yes. And uh, she said the Second Amendment is not about hunting or just having one bullet, as was suggested by Tom, because he says, you know, you can, yeah, you can own a gun to, to, for your home protection. She said it's to prevent tyranny. The Supreme Court's job is to interpret the Constitution. The right to bear arms shall not be infringed. It does not say except when the Supreme Court disagrees. Where guns are not allowed, people use pressure cookers, cars, explosives, knives. And, of course, we've heard of fertilizer and hydrogen peroxide and things like that used in explosive devices, too. The fact that the U.S. has so many different cultures within its borders, uh, says Kyle, it's a miracle that they had, don't have more violence, whereas the more homogenous countries have less. And that's a big factor in violence and murder rates within certain, certain countries. Oh, it certainly is, yeah. if you think about it. If you look at the stats, Japan, for example, is way down on the list on yeah. homicides of all kinds, and they are a very um, homogenous nation. Yeah, that's right. Then there was a caller, Gary, who called in. He said, only police and military should be allowed to have guns. And like MacGyver in our opening episode today, he saw no need for guns. I don't feel that guns are right. Kyla believes in red, white, and blue. More guns, safer country. Which, of course, was exactly... Not what Kyla was saying. More guns, more safety? That wasn't what she said. She was referring to tyranny, not making a case for safety. And yet people are still hearing it that way. Isn't that interesting? And then the last caller was a fellow named Alan, at least the last one I'm looking at. He says, Kyla only quoted part of the Second Amendment. She left out there being a need for a well-armed militia. The, the Americans, he said, were afraid of the British militia, that, that, that they would return. And then he says, quote, Bob Metz was right, saying it was to protect against tyranny, but not American tyranny. It was British tyranny they were protecting against. What's the difference? Well, tyranny's tyranny. That's precisely the point. And he said the notion of citizens bearing arms against each other wasn't even contemplated at the time. It wasn't an issue. It was the Brits they were afraid of. And they resolved the local tyranny problem, the Americans, by having three levels of government, executive, judicial, and legislative. But he insists it was the British they were afraid of. But I'm thinking, now that the Bill of Rights was not about British tyranny, and, and Caller Gary also conveniently left out a part of the Second Amendment, too. <laughs> Quote, being necessary for the security of a free state. And there's that word freedom again. What has that got to do with British tyranny? Nothing. That's an internal thing. Now, the other big issue that comes up with guns is how big the gun is. My gun's bigger than your gun, therefore we shouldn't have bigger guns. Well, here's a proposition for us to consider. If the purpose of the Second Amendment is to protect against tyranny against one's own government, then people should be allowed to own the same kinds of weapons that their governments own and control. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes absolute sense because government only gets its authority and its so-called rights from the people. So, in other words, it doesn't have, a, have any extra rights that you and I don't have. Excellent point. Just as you said, the right to bear arms emanates from the right of self-defense. And that's how our governments secure their, their legitimate authority to use collective force in the protection, not the violation, of life, liberty, and property. And the issue of high-powered weapons is, is to, the answer is not to ban weapons, but to ban criminals. We, you know, we have weapons registries all over the place in this country and the states, but it's hard to get a hold of a criminal registry, except if you're talking child abuse or something like that. Try looking up someone's criminal record to do a record check. You'll get all kinds of obstacles. And so instead of going after the agents of evil, we go after their weapons. 
So the issue comes, should we be able to screen out unstable individuals from buying guns? Well, we could take a stab at it. I don't think it would be overly effective. But just as we get drunk drivers off the road by pulling licenses, we don't ban cars. So I wouldn't be entirely opposed to some kind of registry as long as we would do it justly and not just for the sake of controlling objects and things. I think behavior is the issue. So I'd support a, a registry for unstable people that someone could look up, perhaps through the police. But beyond that, unless someone's already demonstrated that they do not have the capacity to exercise their freedom in a free society, we have no right to stop them in a preventative sense, unless we have evidence of some sort. We can thank Tom McConnell's caller, Kyla, for what we're about to hear on the other side of the bumper as we return from our upcoming break. She suggested that everyone should check out Bill Whittle's commentary on gun stats. And so we shall. We'll be back. These young men are from my alma mater, Lieutenant, MMI. They're here to take away my military souvenirs for a permanent enshrinement in the Memorial Hall. Gentlemen, I have a friend here who would like to inspect the contents of the crate. Would you open it again, please? Yes, sir. Wow. A lot of guns. <laughs> War trophies, Lieutenant. Uh, AK-47 assault rifle. GPSH-41 drum. GPSH-41 clip. All Soviet-made and, as you've observed, all with their firing pins removed. Actually, very, very interesting, General. Uh, you haven't owned a gun, General? A handgun? A handful? No, I... Yes, yes, I do. A target pistol. <laughs> it's a funny thing. I never think of it as a weapon. 22 caliber, high standard, supermatic trophy model. Every time there's a shooting in America, our moral betters on the left immediately ammo up the assault rifle of their rhetorical arsenal, namely our country's sick, twisted obsession with personal firearms, our adolescent psychosexual, dangerous and frankly embarrassing when facing our European film critic friends, American gun culture. So hopping over to the ever-reliable Wikipedia, for example, we discover that when it comes to per capita gun ownership, the USA does in fact top the list in glory. When measured as the number of guns per 100 residents, the U.S. comes in first at 90. 90 guns per 100 residents. Evidence for the progressives on the left that they do in fact live in the murder capital of the world because when it comes to gun ownership, America is number one with a bullet with by far the highest per capita gun ownership in the world. 90 guns per 100 people is half again more than the number two spot held by Serbia with 58. Now, all we have to do to prove the left-wing progressive weenie case for banning guns is to do a quick search for the per capita murder rate. And sure enough, leading the number two country again by about half again more with 90 murders per 100,000 people is Honduras. 
socialist gun-controlled Honduras. Because even though America has by far the highest per capita gun ownership rate, we do not have the highest per capita murder rate. And unfortunately for the progressive leftist argument, we're not second either. Or third. In fact, when it comes to per capita murders, Team USA didn't even make the top five. As a matter of fact, we didn't even make the top 10. Of the 218 nations and territories listed for per capita murders, the United States of America, Murderville, USA, did not break the top 100. We are, with 4.7 murders per 100,000 people in 2012, number 111. 111th place puts us near the top of the bottom half of all the nations and territories in the world when it comes to total per capita murders, and virtually all, if not all, of those nations ranked higher than us are big state socialist utopias with stringent gun control laws. How tragically disappointing that must be for our moral superiors, and unfortunately for the left, it gets a lot worse because 111th place, America's murder rate of 4.7 per 100,000 citizens, is artificially much higher than it should be because it includes so many deadly, murderous, toxic places like number one on the list of highly gun-controlled, democratically governed since the Stone Age murder pits like Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, with strict gun control laws, has a per capita murder rate of 54.6 murders per 100,000 citizens. If Detroit were its own country, it would just beat Venezuela for second as the most murderous country in the world behind Honduras. America's 111th place, 4.7 murder per 100,000 people, also includes, in order, democratically controlled, heavily gun-controlled New Orleans with 53.2 murders per 100,000, St. Louis with 35.5, Baltimore with 34.9, Newark with 34.4, Oakland with 31.8, followed by Stockton, 23.7, Kansas City, 22.6, Philadelphia, 21.5, Cleveland, 21.3, Memphis, 20.2, and Atlanta, 19.0, and of course, Chicago with 18.5 murders per 100,000 people per year. America's per capita average of 4.7 murders includes all of these high crime areas. The first city to appear in gun-mad Texas is Dallas, which isn't even in the top 20. America's overall average of 4.7 is as low as it is because of places like Plano, Texas. It's the last city on the list with a murder rate of 0.5. Now, having been to Plano, Texas several times, I can tell you with confidence that virtually every home in Plano, Texas has an entire arsenal of AR-15 assault rifles, semi-automatic shotguns, 30-06 hunting rifles, they got 45s, 357s, they got 38s, they've got 9mm, they have an assortment of 22s for the kids to practice with, not to mention every species of tomahawk, bowie knife, hunting knife, jackknife, bayonet, switchblade, they've got pointy rocks, they've got sharp sticks. The per capita murder rate in Gun Nut Central is 0.4 per 100,000. If the United States of America as a nation had the same murder rate as Plano, Texas, we would not be 111 out of 218. We'd be 211 out of 218, well below Switzerland at 0.6, half of Germany, Spain, and Denmark at 0.8 murders, and well, well below half of New Zealand, the Netherlands, Austria, Italy, France, and Australia. If all of America had the murder rate of the gun nut capital of Gun Culture USA, Plano, Texas, then America's per capita murder rate would be one quarter of those murderous, violent, rampaging, death-worshipping Belgians with their horrific 
1.6 murders per 100,000. So maybe it's not the guns. Maybe it's the people holding the guns. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. That was from Bill Whittle's January 23rd, 2015 edition of Firewall, which has been viewed online over 1.5 million times, far in excess of his usual uh, download stats. And statistics, boy, you can get all kinds. And you'll find all of various statistics that just don't seem to match each other, and yet they don't really contradict each other because they take into account different parameters. Tom McConnell, for example, brought up that in Canada, per 100,000 people per year, under two people are killed with firearms. And the majority of those are suicides. 1.5 out of 100,000 are suicides, 0.4 are homicides, some undetermined and some accidental. In the the U.S., they have 10.5 per 100,000 people, and the murder rate is nine times higher in the U.S. than Canada. Uh, using firearms, and the suicide rate of that is 6.7 versus 1.5 using firearms. So suicide is huge in terms of firearm deaths versus actual murder rates. A Harvard University study reveals astonishing link between firearms, crime, and gun control. And uh, the original study came out in 2007, although this was published just last year, I think. A lot of people have viewed it, and some people have put this down, saying that the authors of the study had an interest in, in, in gun ownership. You know, they were, they were people who knew what they were talking about, in other words. So the criticisms of this study, I, I, I looked at this study, I have to tell you, little known gun facts, they gave uh, how many here? Oh, 14 or 15, don't know many of how many I can get through to. But I found these very consistent with what I've learned over the years. For example, almost every mass shooting that has occurred in the U.S. since 1950 has taken place in a state with strict gun control laws. They cite only one exception. The United States is number one in in the world in gun ownership, yet only 28th in the world in gun murders per 100,000 people, which is much higher than what we just heard Bill Whittle say, because they're taking other things into account. Oh, gun murders. They're only talking guns. They're not talking murder rates. And then overall, uh, guns in the United States are used 80 80 times more often to prevent crime than they are to take lives. That's that's an argument that we keep forgetting to mention, although we have mentioned it on our show. And, of course, issues like little-known gun fact number six, the overall rate of violent crime in the U.K. is four times higher than in the U.S., The U.K. has approximately 133% more assault victims per 100,000 people each year than the United States does, fourth highest burglary rate in the EU, and the U.K. has the second highest overall crime rate in the EU. The city of Chicago has some of the strictest gun laws in the U.S. is another one, now, now considered one of the deadliest global cities, which we just heard Bill Whittle say too. And this one caught my attention, number 14. After the city of Kennesaw, Georgia, passed a law requiring every home to have a gun, the crime rate dropped by more than 50% over the course of the next 23 years, and there was an 89% decline in burglaries. Now, I happen to know about that case because, of course, we published it in our magazine Consent that we were working on, Robert, uh, in an article by Jim Montag, who is uh, a gun expert here in Canada, and his article appeared in that uh, issue. We also featured Jim on Just Right... um, 
show number 13, where we talked about the same thing. So that actually happened back in the 1980s when Kennesaw, Georgia passed that ordinance. They had such a terrible crime rate, they actually forced people to carry guns. And then the crime rate dropped. Sounds counterintuitive. It but, does. Um, and if you think about it, no, it's not. <laughs> well, it, it makes sense to me. I don't know what's all that counterintuitive about it. But what's the problem here? I, I hear people refer to the whole gun issue as one of two problems. It's either a gun problem or it's a murder problem, <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, well, murder's a problem. Guns aren't. And we were talking about that, Robert, and you said gun problem. It's like saying you have a thing problem. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's, it's exactly like that. And it's a bit like the pornography problem, and quote-unquote, which is a problem only to those who want to associate it with sexual assaults and rapes. But ever since U.S. President Richard Nixon forced a government study of that problem, to everyone's surprise, they found no causal relationships between sexually explicit material and, and sexual crimes of various sorts. But it didn't change attitudes of those opposed to porn. It did affect censorship laws in the U.S. on porn, though. But here is, I think, a key between the whole issue of owning guns and protecting our freedom. Freedom and force go together. Believe it or not, force is the way we institute our rights. When we say we have an individual right to life, liberty, and property, what we mean is this, that all individuals have a right to use force in the defense or protection of their life, liberty, and property. If you cannot use force justly without fear of reprisal from your government to defend your life, liberty, or property, then you have no rights, no rights at all. Freedom is conditional. To be free is to be free of the threat or actuality of the use of physical force and violence against you. Nature does not offer us such freedom. As human beings, we're the only entities on the planet that can create the conditions in which we live. Though not by exempting ourselves from the laws of nature, which as we know, must be obeyed in order to be commanded. Freedom, therefore, is a solely human condition. And it's achieved with guns. It's done with guns, Robert. <laughs> now, the right... To own a gun is not about making the nation safer, as we said. It's about keeping the nation free from its own government, not from foreign attack necessarily, which is a state-organized undertaking, but also from fellow citizens who may take it upon themselves to deprive you of your life, liberty, and property. So remember, people who are jailed for violating or threatening life, liberty, and property do not lose their rights in the process. What they lose is their freedom which is their condition normally free from coercion. The force of the state, however, in restricting a criminal's freedom is not violating anyone's rights, not even the criminals. It's protecting those rights. Freedom is the, is the benefit and the thing you lose if you don't defend rights. By coercing one member of society, one gives up a certain, quote, right not to be coerced back, right? And that's why we have a police and court system. And to take this individualistic principle and turn it into a social one, you have to realize that's done with guns too. The road to tyranny is a condition under which force is initiated against free citizens and is, it's paved with evil and collectivist intentions and symptoms. If, if you don't recognize the road to, to tyranny, it takes the form of various forms, but the form of socialism, fascism, communism, government debt, carbonated politics of global warming, Islam, uh, census by race, all of them ultimately about wealth confiscation and redistribution of some sort. So there were a few side issues just to touch on very quickly. Um, I think Tom talked about the whole Islamic issue. He said, oh, all we're seeing is the last gasps of fundamentalism. 
I think he wrote it off a little quickly. I think what we're seeing is uh, irrationality and collectivism are struggles that never end. And so that's why we have to have eternal vigilance. That just might be the latest form. Uh, the gay issue in context of local gay lobby groups and victim culture mentalities and the gun issue and the is, you know, combined with the Islam issue. These are, again, collectivism problems when people see themselves as members of a group rather than as individuals. When we refer to Western secular culture, that's individualism. And we have a right to be individuals, a right derived from nature, or as some people might say, God-given. So the issue of gun control and elimination could easily be taken to the next level as with calls for nuclear disarmament and the internal dismantling of military forces within several Western nations, including Canada, it appears. The same principles around weapons concerning individuals also applies to nations. So, you know, I remember Isabel Patterson, I'm paraphrasing her terribly, nations are not great because they have guns, they have guns because they are great, and that was in reference to the Roman Empire, so she wasn't talking about the kind of guns or armaments we have today. But Rome did discover the proper principles around which to make itself the world's policeman of its day. So for now, at least, as we head into the second half of the show today, I can say I'm done with guns. Glad you ended on a bang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, your first advance, Eddie. $1,000. We'll uh, draw up a formal contract in a couple of days. No kidding? That's great. You're smart, Mr. Greenleaf. You're going to make a fortune out of my book. Three years I've been working on it. Three years. I've described every single kind of explosive there is and how to make it. Well, that's your genius, Eddie. Your sort of do-it-yourself book will undoubtedly change the world. Yes, yes, that's right. Those poor kids, those amateurs, planting bombs and blowing themselves up. They're really going to learn how to do it right for me. Believe me, I know. I'm sure you do. You're doing a great thing, Mr. Greenleaf. We both are, Eddie. Now about the book. Yeah. Is there any information contained in the book that could be uh, in violation of military requirements or, or defense secrets? Are you kidding me? All the specifications are in the manufacturer's brochure. <laughs> All I'm doing with my book is to say how to use them right. I got ideas for bombs those guys never even thought of. Yeah. Meaning to ask you, all this uh, stuff that you keep here in your uh, your home, is it legal? It's all made in the U.S. of A. Pull up a sofa. Oh, hey, I made some drawings today from a chapter on bouncing Bettys. You did fine. What's a bouncing Betty? Anti-personnel mine. Got to really plant these things just right. lied to us in the city of domes they told us there was no life after 30. then you were a leader in the revolt against established authority weren't you well were you a leader in the revolt there was no revolt we were a small group who resisted a system we didn't believe in do you believe that the individual 
has the right to disobey orders? When the orders mean death and cruelty, yes. Yet you deny that the resistance to authority is an act of rebellion. It was an act of protest. Tell me, Jessica, in the city of Domes, the penalty for rebellion is what? Death. Yes. Here we're much, much more civilized, I'm happy to say. When we encounter dangerous thinkers, we simply treat the appropriate cortical areas in the brain and relieve mental tensions. We reduce them to something that lives and breathes, and its sole function in life is to work. Periodic treatments keep them in that condition for as long as they live. Now, isn't that more civilized than it was in the city of domes, Jessica? What are you going to do to her? You heard them. They'll be thoroughly civilized. She'll be like the other menials. She'll work, be very happy. She'll never have to think for herself again. What a contradiction. To work, to be happy, yet never to have to think again. You're listening to Just Right, and you can find all of our past episodes and links to our social media at justrightmedia.org. If you're listening on shortwave, we'd love to receive your reception reports. And if you like what you hear, please go to our website and click on the Donate button and help keep the show online and going worldwide. That little clip you just listened to was from the television series Logan's Run, which depicts a dystopian society where anything goes except contradicting the social order. In any social order, I always am amazed at the tacit approval most people seem to give to that order. They take it without question. They accept it without thinking. They're happy to work, but not to think. In this sense, we live in a dystopia of sorts today, or at least many of us do. The nature of the individual human mind is to think. That's its function. To think as a man is to be a man. It is the essence of our existence as men. To remove the ability to think, to retard the process of thinking, in other words, is an immoral act. To choose not to think as an individual is equally as immoral. It's to deny your nature. It would be as if a fish refused to swim or an eagle chose not to fly. Both, denying their nature, would no longer exist as fish or an eagle. They'd eventually die. Mm -hmm. If a man takes things tacitly, takes them for granted, or as immutable givens, then he's denying his nature to question and to think. Now, the shooter in the recent Orlando murders is an example of a man who refused to think. He, like millions like him, took as a given that homosexuality was evil. It was written in his holy books. It was taught to him by his parents. It was accepted by him as a truth. Some might say that the root cause of that particular grim act in Orlando is Islam. While the ide ideology of Islam is certainly a part of the motivation of the shooter, it's not a root as such. Much more at the root of the matter was this man's either inability to question and think for himself or his willing choice not to question and think for himself. With Islam, it's easy to point a finger, since the word Islam itself means submission, i.e. surrendering one's own independent thought to the prescribed truth written down in the religious text and interpreted by official representatives of the ideology. But Islam is not the only ideology or religion or philosophy which condemns the consensual acts between two men or two women. All Abrahamic religions condemn, to one degree or, or another, homosexuality.
It is the degree that we, as thinking individuals, either accept or reject the teachings of these ancient religions that shapes our own views on the subject. The only question one has to ask is why? Why is homosexuality a sin? The answer to a Christian or Muslim or a Jew is simple, because it is written. That, of course, is not an answer. It's an evasion. In truth, there's no rational argument that I can find against loving a member of your own sex or being sexually attracted to a member of your own sex, other than the argument of that that's not your preference. Even engaging in sexual activities with a member of your own sex, where's the argument? Where's the rational argument against it? Any argument regarding catching sexually transmitted diseases can be used for sex amongst heterosexuals as well, so that's no good. Any argument regarding the procreation of children is also a dead end since homosexuals can still bear children and raise them, and heterosexuals, some of us, can't. It's interesting because I think that's a major reason why homosexuality has been frowned upon because it threatened the procreation of the species. Well, that would make us just mere, I don't know, uh, factories for, for children. Well, yes, that's and especially attitude. that's why collectivists always view it that way. I mean, even I mentioned this to Tom McConnell, too, in our conversation. I said, look at in Nazi Germany. It was the same thing. Homosexual, homosexuality was totally condemned. You were taken away, and if you were in the army, you were shot because that was considered a conflict of uh, some sort of interest within the army. They didn't want anyone gay in the army, right? Mm. And that, uh, that's no longer the case today, but you can see where it comes from historically. And uh, it's irrational in the literal sense, but I think you can understand it from, from a historical sense, how it, how it arose. Not only irrational, that idea of that, well, since homosexual acts, there's no act of procreation there. I think that is that it's, a, it's an invasion. It's, it's looking at your neighbor as a thing Oh, yeah. whose only purpose is to procreate. And that's the attitude that a lot of societies have towards women, too, that that's their only function. Yeah. You know, so there, there you have the problem in that sense, too. It's a collectivist right. ideology. It is that's not right. an individualist ideology. I can expand on that more, but um, I think it'll be a little, little off topic, all these arguments mm -hmm. for or against, well, not for or against uh, homosexuality. It is not the fact that there are really no good arguments against homosexuality or its acts. It is the fact that many people don't even question the edicts against homosexuality or choose to consider the arguments against it. That's what's at, at issue here, I think. You know, to have a religion is to have a philosophy. It's a rudimentary philosophy, a canned philosophy, a prepackaged philosophy complete with instructions on how to live your life and, most distastefully, how you should instruct others to live their lives. And if you don't live their lives according to the will of Muhammad or Jesus, then they should be punished. But it's a philosophy just the same. Acceptance of these religions in their totality negates freedom. You have accepted to live by the ancient writings. And you've lost your freedom since you've lost your own will to think for yourself. Other than that one initial thought, should I accept this or shouldn't I? Other than that, you've lost your, your, your will to, to be a man. Man in the generic sense, of course. Others have lost their freedom because as a majority of you gather together to form a society, you craft the laws of the land to conform to your religious beliefs. Those who live beside you are then subject to your will and not their will. The degree we are free is the degree to which we think for ourselves and act in our own best 
interests, based on the conclusions we reach from our own effort to think. To live in any other way is to live as an automaton. The guy who shot uh, those homosexuals in Orlando was an automaton. For those of us who wish to think and live as free individuals, we often have to live under what we consider to be irrational laws, which do not enhance our lives. We're often faced with resentment for those that have created the laws, those who uphold the laws and those who preach the laws, trying desperately to stifle our nature to question them. I swear before Almighty God I won't reveal a word that's said here today. Now, what's on your mind? Well, here's the thing. I lied to my parents. I'm not gay. You're not? Not really. Look, all I know is I wanted to get the hell out of that camp. So, I lied to my parents and I told them that I was really worried that I was having feelings for other guys, and they did exactly what I wanted them to. They are such tools. I'm sorry, just so I'm clear, are you a heterosexual or aren't you? Look, <clears throat> I love vanilla ice cream, okay? But every now and then I'm probably going to be in the mood for chocolate. You know what I'm saying? I do. But God would prefer you stick to the vanilla. I don't believe in God. You don't? No. Sorry. You know, your mother's going to be devastated. She's been praying so hard for you to change. Well, that's the good news. I am going to change. Big time. I'm, I'm not sure I follow. You know what my mom said to me last night? She said she doesn't think I'm going to heaven. Can you believe that? I'm sure she didn't mean to hurt your feelings. But the only way you can know paradise is by repenting your sins. When she said that to me, it suddenly hit me how I was going to get back at her. From now on, I'm going to be so good. I'm, I'm going to eat my vegetables. I'm, I'm going to get good grades. I'm going to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I'm going to make her believe that God has delivered her this little miracle. Until one day, when she least expects it, I'm going to do something so awful it's going to rock her world. I mean, it is really going to destroy her. When that day comes... Trust me, I'll know paradise. My goodness, that was delicious. Well, I hope you saved room for chocolate lava cake. Impressive. What goes into making something like that? Well, you start out by trying to make chocolate souffle, and when it falls, you panic, quickly change the name, and voila, lava cake. <laughs> I bet our parents are dying to know how things are going here. So, what are we going to tell them? I'd like to tell them things are going well. Me too. But before we get their hopes up, we should probably make sure we're on the same page. Okay. 
What page are you on? I'm on the one where I'm under a lot of pressure from my parents to get married and settle down and have a family, and I'm going to do it so they don't find out I'm gay. <laughs> Say again? I'm gay. Like, dude on dude, but with women? I know a fake marriage isn't an honest way to live, but you of all people should know how difficult it is to come out in our culture. Why me of all people? Well, there's a rumor back in New Delhi that you're, how shall we say, comfortable in a sari. I'm not gay. Really? The chocolate lava cake, the little soaps in the bathroom, and I'm sorry, but you're wearing more perfume than I am. That's Unbreakable by Chloe and Lamar. And for your information, it's unisex. Fill in the blank. I love the nightlife. I like to boogie. Got you. With women. I like to boogie with women. That's disappointing. You were exactly the kind of phony baloney husband I was looking for. Thank you. And once again, my baloney likes girls. <laughs> wait, wait. You don't want to put a bite of that in your mouth without trying my homemade Chantilly cream. Yeah, okay, that time I heard it. Just last week, our good friend Paul McKeever posted a blog called The Virtue of Sin and the Great Satan. He explains mm. quite succinctly just why it is that many of us consider ourselves to be free while also considering ourselves to be Christian or Muslim or Jew. It was written in the aftermath of the Orlando Massacre, where one man named Sean Ahmed tweeted the following, quote, I'm gay and Muslim. I want to tell the Muslim community that Islamophobia being spewed does not reflect my values as a gay man, unquote. Paul's complete blog, posting in response to the shooting and the reaction, can be seen at blog.paulmckeever.ca. Here's an edited version with which I completely agree. Tell me what you mm -hmm. think at the end of it, Bob. Okay. Quoting Paul McKeever, Islam, like many other religions, condemns homosexuality. The fact is that most religions are anti-homosexual, and the fact that Christians, Muslims, Jews, etc., can consider and call themselves Christians, Muslims, Jews, etc., yet prefer same-sex or bisexual relationships is a good thing for them and for freedom, but not for the religions that they claim to embrace. We're often told that we are freer in the West because we're founded on a Judeo-Christian religious base or tradition, the opposite is true. We are freer in the West because of widespread refusals to obey the dictates of those religions. We're free because we choose to sin. We lend money for interest. We like doing it on payday in particular. We have sex with those we love or don't, whether or not we're married, as the height of our expression of love and happiness. Sometimes we just do it for physical pleasure. Many of us do it for money. Many more of us and I most certainly am not talking about myself, says Paul, consider it a distasteless or distasteful, joyless chore, a means to another end, and the price of something else or longer term. You know who you are, and I'm not judging you for it. We work on the Sabbath. Sometimes we charge extra for that. We eat cheeseburgers. We find them particularly good with bacon. We gamble. Sometimes we do it with cards, other times with ballots. Perfectly legal pornography is reportedly over 50% of his internet use. We listen to Ozzy, 
but also the Pet Shop Boys. We sing Dua Diddy instead of Allah, I'm Not Worthy. And we dance. Really, we have no shame. <laughs> we build monuments to great people like Sir Isaac Newton. Hell, we even build monuments for complete monsters. How many old tin linens are sitting in the scrapyard these days? We'd loudly sing the anthems of our country. We proudly don images of our flags on our backpacks and fly them on our front porches. Most importantly, we value reason and science. We manipulate genomes. We harness the power of water, wind, and sun. Let machines do our dishes and let baseboard heaters save us the trouble of building a fire in the frigid Nord's winter. Sweat of the brow? Hell no. Not with the air conditioning in our North American pickup trucks. Yet Allah, through his messenger, the archangel Gabriel, told Muhammad, quote, Then when the sacred months are drawn away, slay the idolaters wherever you find them, and take them and confine them, and lie in wait for them at every place of ambush, unquote. Only a small handful of Muslims ever choose to obey that. Yet they continue to consider themselves Muslims. In the West, most of us don't find such a thing outrageous or surprising. We idolaters kind of um, expect it. Jesus said, quote, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Unquote. That, by the way, was Luke fourteen twenty six. For the most part, Christians do not hate their parents, siblings, spouse, and children, and would not do so if you put a gun to their head. But self-described Christians just ignore Jesus' words and consider themselves Jesus' disciples anyway. Take that, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus said, quote, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me, unquote. That's from Matthew 19, 21. Just as an interjection here, this, by the way, has always perplexed me. I remember when I was growing up as a Catholic, as an mm -hmm. altar boy, mm -hmm. figuring out when I read this 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 um, edict from Jesus, I'm going, how come we're all aren't poor? How come we're all giving our money away to the poor? How come we live in such wealth? You know, I mean, I see the hypocrisy there. And I'm going, that confused me as a young boy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, back to Paul's uh, blog. For the most part, Christians put their fingers in their ears when it comes to such instructions. We're not merely not trying for perfection and a place in heaven. We're assiduously pursuing what the Holy Books regards as imperfection. And we are enjoying heaven on earth. And in the West, we have been like that since we, in the 17th century, finally agreed with Aristotle that scientific observation, experimentation, reason, and effort not doing rain dances or getting on our knees to pray to gods, are the necessary means of achieving happiness for ourselves. We don't beg for happiness as a gift. We earn it and get it while we are living, through the use of our minds, words, and deeds. We only give up lip service to religion. Our lives in practice are an exercise in what those backward old holy books call sin. All we really take from religion those who do take from religion anyway, is a circle of friends, fear that we do the really bad stuff, and we all decide what the bad stuff is for ourselves, we'll go to hell, or not go to heaven, or we'll be reincarnated as a tree slug, or what have you, and a veneer of good will toward man. We're free and happy in the West because we sin, and for the most part, 
we're pretty happy about our sinning. The great Satan? By the standard of those holy books, yes, you can bet your ass. Truth be told, when 49 people are murdered, or 130, or 2,606, or what have you, these days it's almost always because somebody, someone decided to stop sinning. The lesson here, except for self-loathing jihadists, we'll all be better off when we put those holy books into storage in the basement along with the anarchist cookbook, the collected works of Kant, Mein Kampf, Better Baking with Tofu, and 1001 Nufi Jokes. Put no God before you. Embrace your life on this earth, not a mythical afterlife. Embrace the power of reason and effort, not faith and prayer. Pursue your own happiness as the first order of business. Take no other person's life, liberty, or property without his or her consent. Doing so will only hinder your efforts to achieve happiness in the long run. And not doing so will have the added side effect that your neighbors, too, can make their own choices and pursue their own happiness or misery. When they're happy, it's because they are producing values. And if they're producing values, there are values for you to buy or otherwise earn. Freedom is a win-win. In short, sin like your life depends, or you're like your life and happiness depend upon it, because brothers and sisters, they do. That ends Paul McKeever's post. It was a bit of an edit, so uh, to actually go and see the, the um, original, please do, at blog.paulmckeever.ca. But I have this to add, although Paul did mention it. Above all, think for yourselves. Do not take what your holy books say for granted. For that matter, do not take what Bob says for granted or what I say for granted. Do your own thinking. We're not going to do it for you. But as far as the old holy book goes, consider the source, consider the translations, consider the authors, consider the times they were written in, consider what the word faith means, consider what the word evidence means, consider whether or not, given what we know today, these writings are truthful, or were they crafted in order to bring control in order to what would have otherwise been described as primitive cultures? Think for yourself and then act accordingly. So, Bob, your impressions on uh, Paul's blog? Well, I, I very much enjoyed it. I, I, I can imagine some people are hearing that and thinking the word sin, that means, oh, evil, something wrong. In that context, the word sin does not ever mean a violation of anyone's life, liberty, or property. It always refers to consensual activity that used to be considered sinful, right? I'm also often reminded, whenever the issue of religious issues of various sorts come up, I'm always reminded of John McMurray. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was not anti-religious, but he did say that there are no mature religions on the face of the earth, mainly because they have unreal ideas of what reality is and, and what God is. He says, if your God is unreal, then everything you're doing is invalid. And so, which, which was an interesting juxtaposition because you don't hear too much religious talk in line with um, considerations for reality and reason. Although Christianity adopted a lot of that, which is, again, speaking to Paul's point, that's what brought Christianity out of the Dark Ages. And uh, the other thing that strikes me too is that I'm thinking of Roman Catholicism, because I know you and I were both brought up in that basic faith, and John McMurray's point of view on that, he says, he says this isn't a form of Christianity, this is Roman law made universal, that's really what is inherent in that. 
And so politics and religion, especially up until this age, I don't know that, that, that we'll ever separate them. I'm not sure if that's a realistic expectation or not. But we can get the irrationality out of it, you would think, because there's two areas, politics and religion, where we tolerate so much irrationality that we would not tolerate in any other areas of our lives. And then we wonder why things always go wrong. That's all I'm asking here is for people to take that level of thinking and rationality that they apply to everything else they do from which kind of dishwasher should I buy? How fast should I drive down this road? Uh, what kind of a birthday present should I buy for this person? Um, you know, how much money should I make to make my ends meet? Those are rational decisions. Why can't you apply that same level of rationality to why are you going to church on a Sunday? What's the nature of God? Who says? Who invented God? Do, do you realize that he was invented? His name is El, and he was invented by some sort of Hebrew tribe, you know, 2,500 whatever, whatever years ago in, in the Middle East, you know, from, from, from desert nomads, mm -hmm. from tribalists. Well, we We're following that same God today. <laughs> I mean, Yahweh is actually a demigod, a national god of El. I mean, do you even know these things? Do you question them? Why do you take them tacitly? Please, think, people. <laughs> Well, as, as John McMurray always pointed out in all of his writings, was that the word irrational is to be equated with the word evil. They mean the same thing. Rational is the good. Irrational is just the proper word for evil. There's no other word for evil. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, evil does not apply to animals, inanimate objects. It only applies to a rational being capable of rationality mm. and choosing not to behave so. I wonder if why... Uh, you know... Paul McKeever put in his uh, title, The Great Satan, because Lucifer, of course, means light. And when you shine a light on irrationality, <laughs> you're going to reject these ideas. Precisely. And, and the whole God concept has a purpose. It has a, it has a function, but not the one that has been ascribed to it by literalists. And it has, it has allegorical functions that, that, that work very well. You, I mean, we've talked about that a lot on Well, I even mentioned it here. Was it perhaps <clears throat> just a way of, of bringing order to chaos? Of, it was. Of, of controlling people's baser emotions? You know, at a time, as a, like I said, it's a, religion is a rudimentary philosophy. It's a very primitive philosophy. It has as its nature, it may be a positive goal 2,500 years ago, you know, yeah. but today, knowing what we know about the way the world works and reason works and our minds work, do we really want to go down that path and continue to go down those paths? No, I say let's sin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, make sure you make a point of sinning next week and make it a religious habit to return to our show <laughs> when we return and continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. Everything will be alright. Hey, uh, can I run something by you? It's about Lakshmi. Yeah, sure. How are things going? We hit a couple of bumps. She lives over in Manhattan Beach, so it takes like an hour to get there. And she's a lesbian. <laughs> then why did she even go out with you? She was looking for a husband so she can appear to be straight. And you know, it sounded crazy to me at first. But I'm actually thinking about doing it. Okay, well, so the reason that might sound crazy is because it's crazy. 
it's a great deal. We both get our parents off our backs. I don't have to come home to an empty apartment every night. Plus, once I'm married, I can finally eat carbs again and let myself go. <laughs> so you're seriously thinking about marrying someone you're never gonna have sex with? I can't believe your attitude. I thought you were in favor of gay people getting married. <laughs> yes, to other gay people. <laughs> Do you hear how homophobic you sound? <laughs>